For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you. My physical body when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. How vast is the sum of them were I to count them. They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up in the morning, I am still with you. Psalm 139. I'm not sure that I've always believed this. And maybe you haven't either. I mean, many of us grew up in church traditions that were like um, philosophically Jesus followers, but functionally um, Gnostic. Do you know what that means? So Gnosticism is, is the philosophy of thought that like the material, the physical, the embodiment of all things is actually bad. The function of Gnosticism is to transcend the, the material into the immaterial that we leave behind this broken and bruised body because it was never what it was intended to be. And yet Psalm 139 says, no, you, we, I, was created in the image and the likeness of God. And the beginning of the story of Scripture is not that it started bad and it gets badder, and thank God for Jesus that he'll make it gooder until it, you know, gets really good. No, the story starts with good and gets gooder and gooder into the person of Jesus that showed us, shows us how to be fully human, being whole, made in the image and likeness the physical embodiment, the spark, the energy, the picture um, of God. And so welcome to our new series, Being Whole. And out the gate, this is a discipleship series. This is not a series about the philosophy of what it means to be human. This is a series about what it means for us to be a church family, to walk around in everyday life, knowing that we bear the divine image, not just spark, energy, spirit, essence, but image, our bodies, that when we look at ourselves, we are seeing the image and likeness of God, and that we were created in our physical and spiritual, our, our holistic forms out of joy and out of love. And this is what our physical bodies are meant to represent in this thing that we called life. It is no mistake that Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, the Redeemer, Deliverer, came as incarnate, in flesh, that Jesus like looks like you, looks like me. Pro probably taller with a beard, less tattoos, but, but I digress. That's not a mistake. Jesus came in human form to show us what it means to be a human being. Not just a human doing, a human being deeply, fully loved by God. My friends, are you excited for a discipleship series on what we do with life? Are you excited? Yes. All right, so who's this handsome chap next to me? This is Steve. He is our Sandbanks lead pastor, uh, which is part of our extended family and our Meeting House Network. Um, and I'm a big fan of Steve. Uh, Steve in particular, he's um, been uh, on board as lead pastor for a year or two now. And before that was serving at a couple different churches and one in particular, which I always brag on you for, um, you really leaned into like spiritual direction, which is such a sweet spot. And so if anybody could teach us so well, what is the image of God and what does that mean? And what are maybe the things um, that we get tangled up in when it comes to the divine image and the divine image in us, this is the dude to hear from. So I'm excited to turn it over to you. Can we give a, well, a warm welcome to Steve? Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. You know, first off, I'm going to confess I'm a little nervous. Um, I, I'm used to preaching, but it's been a while, so I don't, I don't do this every week anymore. So there's some energy uh, that I just want to tell you about to make you aware of. But two, I never imagined myself on this stage or preaching at all in any shape or form. I was always used to be the person that was helping out behind the scenes, making sure that things happened, maybe cleaning up this stage. In fact, definitely I did clean up this stage many times. Um, but uh, I never wanted to be on the stage to have a microphone to talk to a group of people like this. And for me, part of that journey was because I didn't like the beginning of my story very much, and that prevented me from sharing. The image of God that I had was not helpful, and I needed a new one. I grew up in a Christian home. I always knew who God was. I knew who Jesus was. There wasn't a moment in my life where I found out uh, or met God for the first time where somebody brought me and introduced me to Jesus. So I always had this idea that God had created the whole world. I always knew that Jesus loved me. I had lots of different images and stories uh, about Jesus doing that growing up. Uh, now, how did we find out about the meeting house? I met uh, my wife uh, at the meeting house. Maybe some of you are like me as well in that boat. It was 2012. We started in Uptown as a community, and then we were part of the team that launched the Richmond Hill site. We moved to Hamilton, participated with people there uh, in the community, and then I actually worked right here in this building as part of the rentals uh, team, a team that's very active today, if you don't know about it, stewarding this resource and making sure that expenses like the mortgage for it are covered, making sure that when we're not in this space, that it's being used, not just sitting idly. And one year ago, oh, in 2017, I got to go and pastor a church near where my parents live in Chatham with some wonderful, uh, great Christians there. And then a year ago, yes, my wife and I moved to Sandbanks where we got to join the meeting house again and uh, begin to pastor there. Today, I'm going to share a little bit of my story, my journey, how I began to see the image of God change over the course of my walk and how that helped me to see myself as created in God's image and what that meant. And I hope that as I share that story, I can give you a set of keys to unlock Scripture. You see, the Bible is this repeating story again and again and again, telling us the same story over and over again. And I hope that you can hear God's voice today through my words. But first, we're going to do something a little uncomfortable. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you would. Take a deep breath. And now I just want you to think back. Think back to your first recollection of God. Got a few prompts here. What is that God like? What age are you when you first hear about God? Where were you at home, at grandparents, possibly at a church, maybe watching television? God, help us to remember how we first encountered you. 
right? I'm going to invite you to just hold that image as we move on. My image, my image of God, the first thing I can remember when I did this is uh, this image of this empty throne up on a dais, kind of like a throne that maybe a king or a judge would sit on. I got this image from my grandparents' church. In their church, there was a huge mural, not of, not of this throne, but a huge mural of this illustration, this image of the two roads, the broad way and the narrow way. Maybe you've seen it before. Uh, but on this huge painting that was as big as one of these screens, you know, I could see this throne. And this throne was sitting there up on this dais but there was nobody there. There were these references to passages of this is a place where God was going to judge at the end of time. My image of God is this empty throne. God isn't even sitting on the throne. It's just a place where God might go to be to judge me. I got my image from my grandparents' community. God bless them. Don't, don't mishear me. There were lots of other images that I had. Uh, there were children's books with Jesus as a shepherd, calling children to him, other things. But this is the thing that stuck in my mind growing up. You see, I always was praying. I knew about Jesus, and I'd be praying as a child, God, please save me. How do I know that I'm saved? There's this, how does this work? But I had this idea that God was a judge, and he wasn't even there. He was absent. How could I pray to a God that I couldn't even imagine? You see, the big part of the story that I picked up from my grandparents was that I was sinful. In Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the problem is, that isn't the starting point. Later today, my wife and I were going to go battle Ikea to try and return something. Um, you possibly, you know, have set up something from Ikea. It's always good to start at number 10, right? Like you open the book to the middle and then you start. No, we have to start at the beginning, at number one, and work our way through. I think Ikea is a good example too, because when it comes to our Bible, we also have to do a lot of interpretation, and it isn't always 100% clear, is it? Yeah. So... I just want you to sit with me. Remember this image that you've had. We're not going to judge that image. We're just going to hold it with grace. And let's pray for God to use these words today. Holy Spirit, we know that you are here in this place with us. We pray today that you reveal your love for us in a new way. You reveal your image in a new way. You help us see and experience you in very tactile ways. God, I don't know what people need today, the embrace of a mother, a father, whether they need a friend to walk beside, a shield to protect them, a provider in the place of need, God, but you know. We pray for you in this space, guide these words, and guide our minds to be shaped more like your son, Jesus. Amen. So what was your image of God? I mean, you don't need to tell me. There's a lot of different images that people can get. We have got a father. I mentioned a judge. Uh, you know, in, in, this, in The Simpsons, uh, we often see when they refer to God, there's this finger that shows up from the sky and points down. Maybe, you know, some people have that as an image of God. God comes down or is this giant that lives up there. 
Maybe you've got this idea of the blue-eyed Jesus with a beard hung on your grandparents' wall in a church. As followers, we're called to become like Jesus, to be transformed into that image. Who we think God is is going to be very important because it's going to shape who we become, not just as individuals, but as a church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth. Well, what do I mean when I say that? For 10 years, I held that first image of God as a judge. I knew I wasn't good enough. I knew I had sinned. I knew I needed Jesus. But I didn't have a good relationship with God because I couldn't see him. My image of God was an empty throne, an absence. How does or has that early image that God, that you had of God, affected your development? What would that image of God, how would they treat other people? What would they do? In my grandparents' tradition, it was important to know that you were right with God, to possibly say a prayer, um, to make sure that you knew things. It's very agnostic. It didn't matter uh, whether it was your body. It was like what you thought. It was whether you said the prayer. Yes, you're supposed to be a nice person, but it was really, did you say the Jesus prayer? Did you know? So where did I first find out that Jesus was real for me? because I needed to have a date and a time for my grandparents, uh, for their faith, so that they could understand. For me, that was about 20 years ago, when I was 17 years old. I was in a cornfield doing this job called corn detasseling. I don't think anybody in here would know what that is. Um, But it's this job where they have to, in order for you to eat cornflakes, for us to get corn and food on the shelves, it has to be grown a seed for farmers to plant. Well, where I lived and grew up were these plants where all these corn seeds were hybridized. And so they put two different kind of cultivars together. And we as kids have to go and do this sweaty job in July and August in these corn fields with the corn over our head. And we have to remove the tassels, the flowers from each of the plants in the field so that they can cross-pollinate. That's a lot. I love plants. Sorry, that's maybe a little bit more than you needed to know. But... The point is, is that there were 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, teenagers running up and down these fields without parental supervision all day. I mean, we had supervisors, but they were just our older peers. And I can tell you, teenagers are not nice people. They use language often that is like blue. Um, They're doing things to each other and treating each other not nicely, especially, you know, when they know nobody's going to like get them or get them in trouble. Well, here's my problem. I was growing up in a Christian home, and I like, had these behaviors that I was trying to emulate in others. I was being a good little boy. And here I was in this space, and I was amongst all these people, and I was like, ah, like, God, like, what do I do? And God gave me the, like, this word, you are exactly the same. And what that meant was I needed Jesus. So I prayed, and I understood that Jesus had saved me. And what it did was, I instantly judged all of them. 
My image of God was that I needed a ticket, I got it, and then I judged everybody else harshly. I was a good little boy. Maybe part of your life has been as a good child. All that means is that we know how to hide our bad behavior, doesn't it? It doesn't mean that we really change. I didn't like that story, and so I never shared it. In fact, like it was just this week as I was preparing for this sermon, I gave a very similar sermon a couple years ago, but God asked me to use this image, this memory that I had, because God has reclaimed it. It never made sense. And so we're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture to see how it could change. Because maybe God is a judge, but isn't that picture of a judge so far removed from a God that loves us and that wants to be in relationship with us? Let's take a look at Genesis 1 and 2. Um, I'm going to be reading portions of it. We're going to read Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse 26. So... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, so let's like just look at this passage and where it would come from and who was it written for. Let's look at a little bit of that stuff here and unpack it. First, it'd be very similar to the mythologies that were happening around the Israelites as their nation was forming. Other people groups had similar mythologies, similar creation poetry to describe their order and understanding of the cosmos. That is until we talk about the creation of humanity. See, in these other myths, like humanity was always created to serve in servitude, more like slavery towards the gods. 
Then we can look at Adam. Adam is rarely used as a proper name in the Hebrew scriptures. And instead, it just refers to humanity, us, all of us, you and me, regardless of station, nation, gender, or creed. So when God is created, when, sorry, when God creates Adam in his image, that says something. None of the other gods were creating people in their image. They were creating people as slaves to work for them. You see, their rulers would pick up this mantle. So like we know that, you know, in Egypt, Pharaoh would say like, I am made in the image of this God. That was set aside for rulers so that they could set themselves above. Kind of similar to like that image of God that I had, this like ruler up on a dais. They wanted to be separated. They would say that I'm the only one that has been from God so that they could keep all the power for themselves. Instead, for Israel, it's the first democracy here. God levels the playing field for all are created in the image of God. Then there's another thing. If we're just going to notice how God creates, God says a lot of things. Let there be light, and it was so. Let the land come from the water and separate from it. It was so. God creates humanity in a different way than everything else. Let us make. Do you hear it? Sarna, he's a Jewish scholar, He writes that in creating humanity, God moves from divine fiat in Genesis 1, speaking or magicking things, let there be light, right? That's very impersonal, isn't it? It's kind of like saying, hey, Siri, turn on the lights. I'm glad we don't do that in here. Um, Right? Is that very personable? What about somebody that like gets down and is forming? Let there be light or a God that forms and makes people in the dirt. It's more intimate. It's connected. Then God gets down into the dirt and makes us, forms us, creating us, and breathing life into us. We can read that in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God didn't make anything else like that. Think about it. It surprised me. Like The commentators talk about how God makes everything else, and they use the word magic. Like Sarna talks about it. It's like magic how God creates everything else. But he goes down and physically engages to create humanity. But it doesn't end there. God created us for what? To keep creating, to keep making, to steward in relationship with God. Are you hearing it, my spiritual siblings? You were made in the image of God to continue to partner with God in the furthering and the creation of all things, caring for all things, loving for them. Genesis 3 outlines how we were tricked. And under temptation, the enemy fooled us, told us that we didn't need to follow God. And sin entered into the picture. 
But that isn't the start of the story, is it? We do need God to get back. So how do we get back there? My image of God was absent. How do I build a relationship with somebody that's absent? Well, it was in seminary when I started to learn about spiritual direction. I had a spiritual director. Maybe you've got a spiritual friend that does something similar to you. Someone that asks you questions. This person just would ask me questions about how I viewed God and how I saw myself. And those slow questions began to change things. You see, they began to ask questions about the other stories in Scripture. And the Bible is full of stories, full of stories where God is getting right in front of people, people like you and people like me, asking them to do things. It's full of stories of people succeeding and failing. Abraham is invited to create a nation that's going to bless the whole world. God wrestles physically with Jacob. Like the, the Bible's full of stories of God just trying to get in front of people. God speaks to Moses. He empowers Joseph to interpret dreams. Again and again, we're reminded. Ultimately and finally with this image of Jesus, Jesus was God determined, determined to live amongst us. And he came to show us a way to live because we were created to live one way. And I can tell you this, folks, we aren't live, meant to live the best possible life that you can live in 2023 standards. We're invited to live something far better than that, far better than the best life that you can ever imagine, a kingdom life as God imagines it, where there is no pain or want or hurt or brokenness, as Anna prayed for us before we kind of began today. Jesus came to give us an example of something to strive for, a hope on days when it all seems like it's too much, because he was a king who came to live simply. He wasn't separated up there, away. He came down into the dirt with us to show us, to encourage us, to live with us, not just to save us. We're called to become like Christ because that kingdom life is so much better than anything we could imagine. But we need to get to know who God is. We need to find out. So during the time of Jesus, I want to tell a little bit more, uh, something else had happened. Uh, you know, the people of God had, like the, the Israelites had different names that they would use to describe God. And these two words were Yahweh and Elohim. And there we translate them the same, it's just God. But for the Israelites, Yahweh would be the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God that got down and walked between the melting pots with Abraham. The God that physically said, I'm going to be there every step of the way. Elohim was a term of great respect. It's a reminder that like, God, you are holy. It's true. God is holy and is worthy of praise. But to use the word Elohim solely would be like, you know, using somebody's, I don't know, hello, sir, hello, ma'am, it's nice to meet you. It, it, it holds people off a little bit like this. It says, you're, you're so good, how could I ever get close to you? It's hard to know when things happen. It doesn't, somebody didn't decide we're going to put God at arm's length, but 
the words that they use, the images that we have, they mean something. Sorry, I just lost myself in the notes a second. And from that space, Jesus comes and he teaches. He teaches something of a new name to the disciples. At that time, people would go and pray and they'd use this term Elohim. And so we are going to learn that in Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer that we're going to read together in a second, Jesus combines all these terms, Elohim and Yahweh, and gives us a new one. He says, you're going to describe God as Abba. Abba, Father, you will pray. And there's no direct translation in our language for Abba. It just represents that relationship that a parent has with a child that starts with these broken consonants, dad, that becomes dad, father, that becomes angry, teenager. Well, you get it. Um, It's a relationship is what it describes, not a static name. Abba is a term that's used by toddlers and teenagers alike, but it represents that feeling and relationship. It's meant to serve as a reminder that God wants to be with you right here and now, helping you the way that a perfect parent would. Abba, Father. I'm going to read now from Matthew 6, 5 to 13. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Can you guys just leave that up there for a second? It's a cycle of Genesis all over again. Our Father in heaven, God, he's creating people and we're going to him. Give us our daily bread, God. We're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how it was created to be. We are recognizing our place that we two, have fallen to the lies and temptations of the enemy, and we need help. We're asking for forgiveness, but we're promising. We're asking for God to help us to get over the temptations that we know will come again. But who do we ask of all of these things? Remember Abba, the same one that we babbled to in the beginning when we didn't know anything about our faith when we didn't know anything about who God was, when we were just learning to the one now that we speak to, the one that's there for every scraped knee, every new tooth, every broken heart, every new dream and celebration. 
Remember my story? I told you. The image was me and these other teenagers. I can see it, right? I can smell it too. Let's not get into that. But they were alone. They were jerks. I mean, I was a jerk too, but I was a, remember I was the good little boy that was hiding that I was a meanie. This week, God gave me a new image. I saw myself being offered a hand. I saw my hand taking it. But you know, when I look around in my memory now, I can also see a parent offering a hand and trying to guide these other children. I see them as toddlers, not as teenagers. And I'm being asked a question, what could you do? Before I was merely judging. Now God's image is asking, how can you help to walk in the way? The image that we have for God affects who we will become and who we will become as a church. God is in my memory now. Sorry, that's a big deal for me. It's been like a long time in my Christian walk, even as a pastor with that image of an absent God. In that memory, God healed it for me. Maybe God is here in this space to offer you a healing for a memory that you have. Abba's just one other image for God. There are over 7 billion people on the planet right now. So there's like 7 billion ways that we could experience and interpret our understanding of who God is. But here's what's clear. God is inviting all of them, every single person into partnership in the renewal of all things. This week, I want you to think about how you pray. It's very practical. When we pray, we use words and names for God. Father, Lord, just God. What word or name have you been using? How does that name shape? the image of God, this God that we've been called to become like. Go find one name that maybe you haven't been using or you don't use, or maybe one name of God that is uncomfortable for you, and start using that this week. Start asking the question, what do I need to sacrifice of myself to become like God if God is like a mother bear. If God is like a shield, how am I called to be like God for others? Lastly, here, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes again. This one's going to be a little bit more uh, spiritual practice involved. I'm going to invite you to just take a deep breath again. Begin by massaging your hands together, really feeling the joints, the skin, the smoothness or the calluses. Remember, God formed you. God got down and made you knit you together in your mother's womb, created you to carry God's image of love out into the world.
God loves you. God wants to be as actively engaged in your life right now as those forming hands, molding, walking, holding, helping, inviting and encouraging, asking you right now, will you come? Holy Spirit, God, Abba, reveal yourself to us in new ways this week. Ways that help, help us to see you. Ways that help us to feel your love. God, I pray that you could help us to teach other people of your love, our neighbors and our coworkers, our families. Lord, most of all, this week, as we leave this place, help us, I pray, to see your image, your image reflected on the faces of each one of your children. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.